Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Pittsburgh Ballet Theatre School provides ballet education and training of the highest caliber that prepares students for professional careers in dance. The pre-professional division at PBT School provides a wide array of performance opportunities while focusing on the dancer as a whole person, nurturing them into creative and well-rounded professionals. The school welcomes dancers of all backgrounds, levels, and interests, and includes the opportunity for international student visas. Auditions for Pittsburgh Ballet Theatre's pre-professional program will be held March 6th through the 11th. Pre-professional dancers will have the opportunity to work with incoming PBT director Adam McKinney starting this summer. For more information, visit pbt.org slash pbts slash auditions 2023. Welcome to Conversations on Dance. Before we get started, be sure to subscribe to the podcast through your favorite app to be automatically notified of new episodes when they go live. While you are there, please take a moment to leave us a review. Leaving a review takes just a second and goes a long way in helping us grow the podcast and supports us in this endeavor. We appreciate you joining us today. Now, let's get to the episode. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today, we are thrilled to welcome back to the pod the ladies of Ragamala Dance Company. Today, we talk with the company's founder and co artistic director, Rani Ramaswamy, and her daughter, co artistic director, Aparna Ramaswamy. We first had Rani and Aparna on the podcast about a year ago with Aparna's sister, Ashwini, in episode 275. If you haven't heard that episode yet, we hope you will go back and tune in to hear more about this trio's origin in dance and about the founding of Ragamala Dance Company. Rani and Aparna join us today to talk about Fires of Varanasi, the show that they have been touring for the last year. For our listeners in the Houston area, don't miss Ragamala Dance Company in Fires of Varanasi, March 10th with Performing Arts Houston. For tickets and more information, visit performingartshouston.org or click the link in the description of this episode. 
Aparna and Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us again today on the pod. We have to tell you that the last time you joined us was such a hit. We had so many people reach out to us and say how much they loved hearing from you guys. So we're truly just so excited to have you guys back on the pod. Oh, well, nice to be here. Happy. Yeah, it was so, it was so fun for us. So we're glad to have you back. And it feels like it was just yesterday, but it's been almost a year. So we do have a bit to catch up on. Um, and I'd love to hear about how um, how touring, as we've sort of started to inch away from the age of COVID, how that's come back and what that's been like for the two of you to be back in front of audiences all over the country. So, Alma, should I jump in or do you want to? Please do. Please. So thank you for letting us know when we last spoke, because it's (laughs) hard to keep track of time these days. Of course. It was a year ago. We were very fortunate to tour last year. And I think as one of the first dance companies to come back into touring in September of 2021, we were um, we were so fortunate to have a full year of touring with no COVID cancellations and no COVID in the cast. So we were very, very lucky in that way. And then, so we had a wonderful year last year and then we have con- continued this year. And so it's been a very busy year. And in the fall, we were so um, happy to return to India and take our work back to uh, back home, if you will, but in a, in a very, you know, obviously a different perspective and a different vision. And it was very well received. We performed, I think, in seven cities in eight days, something like that. Wow. It was very intense, but incredibly heartwarming and amazing. So international touring is coming back. So that was That's amazing. And it's just been a, a very busy year. We were just in Seattle and we have plenty of, um, we have many, many cities coming up and we look forward to being in Houston at the beginning of March. Yeah. We were an American dance festival just before we went to India, oh. which is, it's such a important place. I thought it's nice to add that. Yeah. Absolutely. When you guys um, went and toured to India, was that the first time that you've taken Ragamala to India? I know you guys have both obviously performed there, but was that the first time taking your core dancers with you? No, we've performed in India many times. Yeah, okay. With the company. Right. And the first time that we went, we were concerned. We were worried. We were wondering how. The thing is, is that our form, obviously, the form that we practice is is very rigorous. It's very obviously completely um, in in step and in in reverence to our lineage and our teacher. It's the way that we create work in this larger format, taking um, a larger ensemble of dancers and also putting ideas together that perhaps people aren't used to or using English narration and, and other collaborative elements. And what we found was that audiences are hungry for excellent work that is new and revelatory and so welcoming to this type of work being done in the diaspora and our willingness to bring it home and share it with them. And so the dialogue was really just incredibly wonderful. Oh, that's great. Well, we don't have Ashwini with us today, but I want to tell you guys that I did get to see her um, perform in Let the Crows Come last March, I think it was. And it, we had, it was an interesting situation where 
you know, COVID was still a problem. So I think on opening night, they were able to perform um, without masks. And then by the time I came, there everyone was masked. But um, I took this dancer of the New York City Ballet, Mira Nadon, who's half Indian, and she was very excited. Um, and what we both remarked on immediately was like, I, it did not impact the performance at all. And it actually probably made us hone in on the way that Ashwini was using her eyes was so incredible. Mira was already like, I'm stealing that. I, I want to see how I can incorporate that into like balancing ballets. But I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, like, is that a part of the training or like what, how, how expressive we are just with that single singular tool, you know, like what that communicates to your audience and, and how much emphasis there is on it in the work that you're doing. So I'll start. So if you look at in, in Bharatanatyam, we have two separate aspects. We talked about that. One is the rhythmic aspect and one is the Abhinaya, the expressive aspect. But in mm-hmm. general, we the performer uses the eyes. Uh, there is a saying, where the hand goes, the eyes follow. Mm-hmm. But that, I would say, it's not translated to the entire it's not a rule that people just follow, but you have to follow it with all of the other things that go into creating um, whatever you are co- communicating with the audience. Mm-hmm. So when you do pure dance, there is also in our style uh, from our teacher, there is a joy that pure dance is total control of the body, the excellent technique and how you dance, and then take that on with the joy of the music and put it all together. And you come, because we don't speak, you communicate with your, with your eyes. So when you, our teaching is so specialized. Like when you look at this finger that I'm showing, you look mm-hmm. six inches about that finger because otherwise your eyes will be looking downward. Down. Mm, the right. teacher, she always says, there's nothing here. Don't, because students have that, that, that feeling that they don't want to look directly out. But yes. this mm-hmm. dance is in direct communication with the audience. Mm-hmm. So now different people have different ways of conversing, Similarly, different people have different feelings, how they emote their feelings. So it makes it so different. Who can use their eyes a certain way or who cannot use their eyes a certain way? The training always includes the eyes. But mostly when you tell a story, it is taking the real life of how we communicate and make it stylized. Mm -hmm. So if I'm talking to you, if I don't look at you, then I'm not making an impact. If I'm going to, you know, so the eyes are constant. You look at the moon, you first look at the sky, then point. So it, the, the choreographer, the teacher actually works with the artist to constantly correct and fix because it's not mine. You are absolutely seeing what you show, mm-hmm. showing what you see. So uh, the eyes play a very important role because all the nine emotions that we do comes from our eyes because we don't speak. So the music definitely helps. But there is, uh, I think if you read the text of Bharatanatyam that's ancient, it will tell you there are this many glances and this many 
um, how you look up and how you look down. But those are just codified. You, you mm-hmm. can't practice that from a book. It is the practice that you do to include your eyes in everything makes the dancer effective or not. So I'm curious hearing you talk about this, by the way, for our listeners, what you were just doing was so gorgeous that whole time. I was enamored with the beautiful demos you were doing while you were speaking. So beautiful. But um, I'm wondering, like when I'm thinking about ballet training, just to kind of like as a comparison, sometimes, especially with really young ones, it's very um, easy to focus on what your legs are doing, what your upper body is doing, maybe where you're putting your arms. And sometimes that's not always a focus, what your face is doing in class. And so I wonder, and it's sometimes it kind of ends up that like you either have that something, you know, in the eyes and in the face and performance quality, or you kind of don't. And it's can't necessarily be taught, I guess. And maybe it's just because we're not thinking about it right from the get-go. So how does that compare to how you guys go through your training and how you are training the next generation in terms of this performance quality? So I think you're absolutely right that people have, there are definitely people who have the certain it and people. But if we also think that there are so many shades in between that, that we do all, as Ronnie said, communicate differently. And so perhaps there can be a a child who is incredibly outgoing and you can see that fire in in that child's eyes. But there also, there's an incredible potential for subtlety or shyness or these different personality types, I think, that, that evolve through the training. And of course, like any dance form, there is so much attention paid to the physical body. And so I think from a very early age, this realization and these conversations about what is natural to the body and what is natural to us as humans. So when we take the original, the, the essential shape of Bharatanatyam, we're in that demi-plie position, and we do so much footwork. Now, the footwork is not to make sounds, loud sounds, to impress your neighbor, but it's really to conf- to um, to confirm or to identify our relationship with the earth. How can we put our full full foot and pressure onto the earth? How can we how can we excavate music and cadence through our feet and have it radiate through our body in this way? Like the roots take shape and we 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 pull the energy up and out from the body. So when you're thinking about those concepts, there is a recognition of humanity that people feel that can feel in your face and in Mm -hmm. what you're doing and the connection that you have with the past and civilizations and your fellow human beings around you. And I think it is that recognition that we are sparking and that we evolve as performers as we share with our audience. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love what you just said about your connection to the past and to, you know, civilization and your ancestors and all that, that feels very prevalent and prominent in the work that you do. Whereas in ballet, I always felt it, but it's not necessarily something at the forefront, but it's something I liked to think of. And it's definitely something that I feel like you're addressing in your new work from what I've read about it. Um, let's just talk about what the work that you're touring with right now. We, we talked about it a little bit a year ago, Fires of Varanasi. I'd love to hear about just the concept and what the the early stages of creating this work were. I'll just uh, say the origin, why and how this idea of 
files of Varanasi came to us and Apranaka you could take off anytime. Mm-hmm. So this the idea of Varanasi, you know, Varanasi, I'm going back to the word ancestors. Now, in our tradition, in our culture, the five elements of the natural world connects with the five elements of our bodies. And that goes into the fire when we die. And Varanasi is a, um, what you call it, is a symbol of this, that this is a place where most, almost all Hindus either want to die or they want their ashes to be taken and put in the Ganges because it all connects to spirituality. The origin of the Ganges is from the head of Shiva. Shiva is the god who resides in Varanasi. And he is all that he has made that his home. He never leaves Varanasi. And when someone dies, I mean, when I say people believe, it's not just, oh, I believe it's going to rain. This is deep, as you said, the connecting chain that connects to generation of your ancestors. That Shiva would say a whisper, a mantra in your ear that would release your soul to better lives because we do believe in reincarnation. So as even as children, you grow up, people saying, okay, my grandmother is going to Kashi. Kashi is the, the temple complex of Varanasi. Mm-hmm. And you're, they all, older people get together and they do pilgrimage to Kashi. Maybe in 500 years before they never came back because they were old enough that they know this travel is so hard that they would pass away there. Mm-hmm. So it's not something you're afraid to talk about or it's not alienated that you're a child and you're not supposed to hear this. It's embodied in our lives that, yes, this is an, um, a special place. And every Hindu wants to go to Varanasi once in their lifetime. So when my father, my parents, they their two children. They never wanted to come to the United States. They didn't want to die in the United States. They wanted to die in India. But you don't plan your lives and it doesn't happen always. So my parents moved to uh, Minneapolis 10, 12 years ago. My father mm-hmm. passed here and he's ashes. We did all the, it's very, I'm only going to say one thing to connect present and past. So when they did his um, funeral, he was his body was going into the crematorium and the priest mm-hmm. said head first and the attendants said no feet first that's the way we do it and i was thinking what would my dad how would my dad react to this to him everything the priest said was the most important all the rules to be followed but his death was not under anybody's control right he mm-hmm. went Feet first. So we decided that this thought that we were all around watching this. We said, you know, our next project should be of this uh, Hindu immigrants in, in the United States come, not only Hindus, but all immigrants come with their own belief system. Mm-hmm. And our beliefs, people know more about Bollywood than this idea, staunch belief system in reincarnation, in a place where you think will help you with your future. It gives such resilience to 
the whole community of immigrants that are living in the United States and people in the diaspora, we decided this is what we should make. And it would be as if we are, as women in the family, we are making a work that would appease my father's wishes and he mm. would. So it was in memory of my father. <clears throat> We went to Varanasi, saw what was happening there, and it was so beautiful. And things that have been happening there for ages and ages and ages. So we decided that would be our next project. That's why we made Fires of Varanasi. Now Aparna can take off from That's so beautiful. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, I think um, in constructing the work, we very much wanted to pay homage to all of the things that Ronnie highlighted. So this idea of, in a larger sense, the philosophy that is living within each of us, this idea of cultural memory that lives on in each individual. So this, what is, what creates hope, what creates resilience essence makes this entire experience of life less lonely and less isolated. Indians often almost, we, we are a communal culture. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of this history living within us is very important. And so that was um, obviously a very, very important thread. So as, so the next layer of that is what are the symbols of that? And this idea of Varanasi as a pilgrimage city, one of the most important cities for Hindus for, mm. for life and death. And then what are the elements of Varanasi? So the Ganges River, where we all want our ashes to be immersed in. And the Ganges River is, you know, everything has different mythological um, connections. And it's, it's, it can be complex. Yet it, it, it makes sense. It, it connects to, as Rani said, it connects to the goddess and this idea of liquid Shakti or the power of the feminine who can uplift you in your next life, can uplift you on the journey as you transition to your next stage. And so the Varanasi, um, the Ganges flows through Varanasi. We wanted to pay homage to that and all of the elements and how they work together. So as the individual goes through this feeling of yearning and connection with the sacred, connection with the community, connection with the elements, connection, and then, and then sharing that connection through music and dance and poetry, mm-hmm. how do we get to the ultimate yearning of 
Shiva as the reigning deity of Varanasi and all of the myths and stories that, that encapsulate that relationship. And that's where we end. So the, so the intensity really heightens. And in, some, in, in many ways, we are sharing the stories of our community, but we're also sharing through our own personal dance. The creative process for us always includes solos within the ensemble. And so that personal sharing of these solos makes it an incredible way for us to share our own personal connections to all of these elements with our audiences. Mm. And so, as Ronnie said, the, the, the larger idea behind all of this is all of us have these embodied rituals and values that we carry from, uh, from our, through our family, from one homeland to another in a diaspora. And how can we invite audiences to share this piece and then reflect on their own histories and stories, values, traditions, rituals, and share with the wider world so we can have that idea of sharing and nurturing together. Mm-hmm. Right. So Saparna says it so beautifully that how we have built it. We have also included in it the city of Varanasi as historically, because you see, you know, India, it's a Hindu city. Then there was um, Islamic. There is many Muslims who live in Varanasi. And the most most um, well-known poet is Kabir, who was born and raised in Varanasi. So it included a philosophical poem of Kabir. And then Buddha walked through Varanasi and settled in a uh, in, in Sanchi in a, what is the place? Aparna, I forgot the name. Sarnath. Sarnath, where Sanchi is one of the things, and he, he gave his first sermon in um, Sarnath. So we have a whole we have a scene where the Buddhist monks are walking across just to show how. Varanasi was his uh, historically how Varanasi has gone through various influences. Mm-hmm. The only thing we haven't done is it was 300 years colonization. The British lived there, but we didn't add it to the uh, to our mm-hmm. performance piece. Yeah. So, um, Aparna, you touched on the fact that there are a lot of solos within this piece. And I believe last time we talked, you were telling us, is there 11 people in the cast? 12 people? How many is it? 11 people. 11 people in the cast. And and you mentioned that that was quite a large cast for maybe something that you guys generally do. So I wonder, um, A, if the cast has shifted at all now that you've been doing this work for a little bit over a year, right? And then also, how do you bring in each dancer's personality into these solos and what they want to, you know, connect with as a part of the story and share uh, with the audience? So this is, for us, this is quite a large cast. And we have been very fortunate that we have had almost no shifts in the cast. We had a shift. We had one member shift at the very beginning of our touring. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a really um, wonderful opportunity for us to invite a a young dancer who has, who is a very strong Cambodian dance background to join us. And he, the way he approaches movement is is really really beautiful but also he connects personally so um so well with the themes of of this you know with his south asian background and and the way that his 
his background has been influenced by Buddhism and Hinduism. So it's been really interesting to have these conversations within the cast as well. Mm-hmm. So, and we touched on this last time that our dance form is a solo dance form. And traditionally the idea is that one person is, is, is the, the medium in some ways between the audience or the community and the sacred. And so that ability to personally challenge, channel the emotions and and that that charged uh, prayer through your body, through your emotions, through your psyche is an incredible experience to be involved in. Now, that is something that we absolutely treasure and value, and we've never wanted to change that in the work we do. And so for us, it's always being it's, it's we've, we've seen an evolution in our in our choreographic process of how to embed solos and work with ensembles and and where we are now and with this production in particular is that we are not interested in identical movement with people. We're just not not interested in that. And so we are doing two things. We most definitely highlight solos. So we have. Uh, different dancers on the stage and perhaps in, in, in enacting different rituals, life rituals, death rituals on the stage, um, working with the water or the different scenic elements. And But the focus is on the soloist who is authentically and very, very movingly communicating the, the poems and the music in, in her own individual way. Then there are other pieces where we have their ensemble pieces, but we have purposefully choreographed everyone to do, and we have, obviously there are, there are links in the visual links, but everyone is doing something different. Hmm. Now that is physical, yes, but intentionally what we want to do is highlight each person's personality. So even though we may have seven dancers on the stage, they are com- seven completely different individuals. Their bodies are different. They approach their movement differently. They have completely different backgrounds and their experience with dance is different. And all of that makes up a human being and makes up what that human being is willing to share with the group, with the audience, with the artist, with everyone. Now, it is our intention to nurture and encourage that. And so that that is what we do. So everybody may use their eyes differently. Everybody may approach a certain. Now, obviously, we have to direct. We have a form. We have a lineage. So we have to be very faithful to that because that's incredibly important to us. So it's not that we're going to let somebody, you know, not have the exact perfect angles or approach or be physical in the way that we want. But there's so much more than just kinetic movement, it is that spirit and it is that joyful spirit that each one of us communicates differently. And that's what makes our world an, an amazing place. So that's what we want to uplift on the stage. So beautifully said, Aparna. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Could you tell us about how long this process of creative process takes from the first idea of the work that you're creating to, you know, rehearsals and then to finally mounting it on stage because it does sound like it's a lot of moving pieces and they're just so it's very involved on a number of levels it's not just well we have 10 dancers on stage and they're all doing group step and then it does you know it's just dance for dance's sake it's very you know everything is very intricate and um layers deep 
So how long does that take to, to pull together? Shall I start? I think once the idea comes, we go to we look for poetry, lyrics that we, you know, we come up with a, where do you want to start? We did, it, a lot of research goes into this, mm-hmm. at least a year and a half. Wow. What do we want to do? Where do we want to do? And sometimes we have 10 ideas and we have to scrap all of it and finally sit down and do, okay, wait, we can't do all of that. So even ideas for the set, we have changed over the course of these creative years. Then comes the, okay, we want to do this after you have a, a, a storyboard kind of right. that we have to look, we start looking for poetry, um, lyrics. What do we want to say? Who is going to do what? Then and I'm going to say this in a nutshell and then Aparna can elaborate on it if she wants. Then we go to our composer. The music is set. We say, you know, and we have a lot of uh, involvement in every aspect. Even though we send the words to the composer, we have to tell them, what are we thinking? Now, if she lived here, she would probably want us to move so that it will give her a motivation, a different idea of how to, which melody to pick and so on. But because of having been doing this for so many years and we have an idea of what melody would work here what is the feeling that we want to do so then that communication happens she sends rough drafts that we listen to and we resend it then we start working on the solos and the groups each person like I took my solo I have three solos in here and Aparna has like four solos Ashwini has two solos and each of us are Trying to and you know what the comp when the composer sends the music it's not like okay it's done we have to work on it and say okay I want to do this line eight times because there's so much expansion expansive elaboration to be done so we will say okay this line half line so we give them very specific um, instructions as to how we want the music to be done so once we then we start working with the dancers on group choreography. You know, the, uh, when Aparna was talking about emoting each different, each of us emoting differently, mm-hmm. the one word that comes to mind, the, our teacher always talks about this honesty. Mm-hmm. You have to be completely honest in order to move the audience. Mm-hmm. If you are just acting, you can act superbly, then it will work beautifully. But that line to bring it out of each one has to be, you know, what is spirituality? Yes, but spirituality is not always begging. It can be joyous. It can be asking. It can be wonder. So we have to bring each of these lines and we are still doing it with, with our dancers because it's not, it's easy between two shows. You have a month, mm-hmm. two months, mm-hmm. and to reconnect and get, in that into your body and be able to express is difficult but anyway choreography starts we work on the choreography and we keep changing choreography even now after Mm -hmm. every performance we might say you know this doesn't work let's change this so it never stops Mm -hmm. there is always some subtle changes then we work with musicians 
the musicians came from India in March of 2020. Within a week, they had to go back because of COVID. Of course, yeah. So they, we had sent all the words and we told them what to do. So they had excellent, exquisite musicians for dance. They did a rough recording mm-hmm. and they left. And we had to work with that. And I think I'm going to have Aparna take off from there because she absolutely worked with the musicians on having this phenomenal recording for this piece. Can I ask well, quickly before you do that, uh, where the, where is the composer from? Is from from India? Lives in India? Hyderabad, India. Okay, very good. Prema Ramamurthy, who's extraordinary composer. Sorry. Okay. So now I'd like to hear, yeah, about the musician. Well, I, I think I'll just briefly say that um, recording music, original music over COVID was a complete and total nightmare. I, bet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, the credit goes to our musicians who, so in India during that time, this was the summer of 2021. So first of all, they kept in touch with us for an entire year, talking, planning, meeting on zoom. And over the summer of 2021, um, Chennai, the city where they all live, was on complete lockdown. And so everyone was allowed to leave their house for three, three hours a day. So if they were found, they were found to be outside, not outside of those three hours, they were fined. And so they had to get special permission to go into the studio, meet. And so we were dealing with that. We had to keep moving the recording because of the lockdowns. Wow. And then um, they just weren't allowed to leave their houses. And so we were dealing with very, very bad, very poor internet connections. And also if you've tried to have four musicians playing at the same time on Zoom, I'm sure you can you know, imagine how difficult that is. But finally, when we were able to get them all in the studio together, and you know, we're talking about just like the beginning of people being vaccinated and being, I mean, this was, it was a major moment, right? So what we would do is they would, um, record, and we'd already rehearsed and sent them videos and done all this. They would rehearse, and I tried to be in the room with them through Zoom during the entire recording process, which was just really difficult. I couldn't tell if they were tuning. I couldn't tell if they were trying to do their microphones. I couldn't tell, and it was just you know hours spent that way. And then they would send us the rough drafts every single day. We would make extremely, extremely intensive notes. Like, you know, that beat here, can you actually make that one softer? And can you actually come in this way and that way? And then we would film ourselves dancing to that music every single day. Wow. And this went on every day. We would have a new um, iteration until we finally got, and we're talking 82 minutes of music. Oh, wow. The time Time difference. We would do this every single day. And then they did a a mix and sent it to us. And then I ended up remixing the whole thing because it just wasn't exactly what we needed after we had set the whole thing up. Mm -hmm. And so it was really intense. It was intense. And um, it was, it turned out beautifully. And the thing is, is that we had never intended to have the, the music played live for this show because it is such a scenic heavy show. Mm -hmm. And so that part had always been the plan. We didn't pivot because of COVID, but the method was supposed to be, we were all in the room together creating all of this original music. And so, you know, and then we're talking about touring again, a heavy set that needed to be constructed. We had, we were supposed to have a team of people. We had one person working all on his own in a workshop through COVID. We, 
We had all, you know, we had to have the cases built and we had to have everything. We had to have the the shipping figured out, freight, how it was going to go from one city to another. I mean, there's just a million details. There's there's water, you know, what happens at our first site. Um, We, I guess I won't name any theaters, a very well-known theater, Um, our tape leaked the water leaked through the tape and stained the floor and so do we talk huh. about we have a white floor. white floor very important you know so there's all of these things that we were learning as mm-hmm. we were going but what i will say about our process it's a very long process creating creating a new work for us is very long for two reasons one is that we are simultaneously always touring and performing and we are always performing and touring multiple works it's the same group of people touring multiple works and we feel very fortunate, but it also complicates our timeline. We are also right. the same group of people who are running the organization. We are writing all the grants for funding to produce this work. We are producing this work. We are doing everything else too. So the staff are the artists. So it really expands the timeline and what is possible but then the, the other flip side of that is, as Ronnie said, all of the ideas are original. We're not taking an existing story or novel and putting it on the stage. We are not taking existing compositions and putting them on the stage. So we start with nothing, a blank canvas. And that's incredible because we can make all of our dreams come true. Mm-hmm. But that also means that you have limitless options. Mm-hmm. Which is also overwhelming, I'm sure. <laughs> Editing. And the calling and the making decisions of that is, is takes a quite a long time. And making sure that we our message is extremely effective and the product is very powerful. Right. So are you able to create at all or at least brainstorm while you are touring? Or does it have to be like there's a breath from touring and now we focus on new work? You're doing these things simultaneously, I'm guessing. We are. So currently we're envisioning our next project. And right now we're in the research phase and writing phase. And so we are in the phase of what are our ideas? Where are we going to land? What um, avenues should we continue to research? And can we contact, you know, who will support this work? And can we get the support to make it, to, to make it? And then, um, but we can't, our rehearsal time right now is in, is for touring. And so right now what we have is I have a a work that is a a new evening of solo and duets, um, solos by me and duets with the Shwini. And this is the first time that we've done an evening together with this incredible music ensemble from India. So we'll be touring in the fall and um, which is great. We're really excited about that. So that's kind of next up. And at the same time, we're creating a, a new, very large scale work. Hmm. So I wonder once you create this piece, how does it come into play these different touring venues like Performing Arts Houston, where you will be on March 10th? How does how do you get from that point to then hearing from Performing Arts Houston that they would love for you to come and bring this work to their city? This is upperness. <laughs> so we have a wonderful artist manager agent, Laura Colby. And so we work very closely with her to 
um, on the whole process. What are we working on? What are just the kernels of ideas and who should we talk to in terms of future support? Who may be interested in presenting this in two or three years? So for Fires of Varanasi, we had the support of eight incredible commissioning institutions and individuals who were in touch with us through the entire process and all of the steps of the process. And and then we were able to tour to all of those places. And so it was, it's just an incredible partnership. And, um, and then Laura is always getting the word out about which pieces we're touring and which pieces will come about. And um, we love to have conversations because it is also our responsibility and our interest to share the details of our creative aesthetic and the way we work and how we work in communities and why it's important to share excellent culturally rooted work and why we should be on the landscape. And so what is that conversation? And we're very willing to have that conversation with different individuals and and, and hopefully visit their cities. Mm-hmm. Our lead commissioner was the Kennedy Center. And we performed there for their 50th anniversary. You know, mm-hmm. we feel so honored and proud to say this. And so each commissioner have they they have come into the work with great interest in this work. So the other thing that we're doing in Houston and we're very, very excited about is we've been working for the last year on an, an, an initiative with NCC Akron. And they obviously have a very well-known choreographic institute there and or Center for Choreography. And Ronnie and I were uh, fortunate to be awarded a McKnight Fellowship that came with a residency. And one of the residency sites was NCC Akron. And so for us, um, in conversation with Christy, the director, we were talking about, Christy Bolingbroke, we were talking about what is it that we need? Do we need space? Do we want to bring our dancers in? Do we want to work on this on this new project? And what we asked them really was an opportunity for conversation and sharing. And so would it be possible to invite presenters from all over the United States and international presenters to see a performance of Fires of Varanasi, a fully produced performance, and then have a conversation about what is American dance? Hmm. How do culturally rooted forms interact? What is our history? What is our place in this landscape? What, what are the, how do they think about dance? How do they think about presenting culture to their communities And what do they need from us? What can we ask them? Like, how can we really get into this conversation over the course of a couple of days, not 15 minutes after a performance or a talk back after a performance, but how can we really be in the room and have this very um, honest conversation? And so that is what we've done is we've created these convenings. We had one in Seattle and we were so um, just it was amazing to have really wonderful presenters in the room in conversation with us. And then we're doing it again in Houston to have this conversation to really see what is the impact of the work we do and how can we further share or how can we explain how can we learn from each other mm-hmm. and so that is a very important part of this this uh, visit to Houston right and this sorry this is Aparna's child she <laughs> came up with this idea and presented it and is now making it possible and i think it's such an interesting and a very important conversation to have absolutely yeah <clears throat> 
Well, we wish we were in Houston and that we'd be able to see Fires of Varanasi. But I, I want to hear, like, just saying, what is the impact of the, the work that you're doing? I, I want to hear what you feel like it is, but both for you personally as the artist, like how does, what is performing Fires of Varanasi, how does that impact you as, as an artist? And then what are you feeling like audiences are taking away and what do you want them to take away? So, yeah, if we could dive into both the, both those things. I think um, for us, spirituality is the backbone of Bharatana. And we are an open, we are open to let that spirituality get into us, to move us from inside out. And our the and this performance, you know, because we are picking the songs we want to present, the dance, we are making the dance we want to do. We do our best to bring out not only the technique, the um, expression, the feeling, and we get into it. And we know that we are doing something that we are completely involved in because the subject actually moves moves us to move. Mm -hmm. Now, the audience, what they see is you know, it's not a dance form where the audience can jump up and move with us, but it just takes them to a different place. For example, there was a presenter who joined us in Seattle who said he was taken back to the time where, when he left his Protestant sacredness and the rites that used to be part of it. He said, it took me back to that place and made me think what it would have been like. So mm -hmm. it brings that the spirituality is transferred. So we have this word rasa and bhava in Bharatanatyam. Bhava is the expression, the feeling that the dancer puts into her body. Rasa is the feeling that the audience feels. So it's mm -hmm. almost like cooking. The ingredients you put into the cooking is the bhava and the rasa. Rasa means taste. Right. Another word for rasa and what you feel. So many, the feedback that we have almost always gotten is they feel moved. Mm. People, maybe that's the expression that they, they can easily, it's easily explainable. But it takes them to a very spiritual, happy place. Uh, happy, I don't mean just joyous, but because even though Varanasi is a place of death, there is always a hopeful ending because it's the gods take you to a different place. It is you, You're not left dangling in darkness. It, there is, it elevates our performances always are meant to be elevating the audience and the performer. Beautiful. Aparna, do you have a last little bit to say? Sure. I mean, I think Ronnie put it very beautifully in terms of um, being moved as an, as an artist and as an audience member, we hope. I think some of the thoughts that I had when Ronnie was speaking was that in this country, some of the, the foundational values, I would say that make it unique and make Americans as successful is this idea of innovation 
And also this idea of being a very fast paced world. Mm -hmm. Value those things in the world. And in this production, Ronnie and I present with rigor what we feel is the best of our artistic forms without apology. And I say that thinking we have made an 82 minute piece without an intermission. We hold the standards of music and dance very high. There are numerous solos. We know that may not be easy for an audience, but we feel it is the absolute best and most authentic way to communicate the, the, the themes that we're communicating. And if I look at the trajectory of our careers and how much people have, what people think is innovation and what we think is of innovation, they don't always, they're not usually the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And newness is prized so much in our world. And the fact that we can bring what we want, absolutely <clears throat> to bring this artist-centered work to audience, audiences throughout this country and a work that has been supported by major institutions that represent American thought I think that is incredible progress and it is incredibly satisfying to my soul. Mm. I think that you guys are just so wonderful. We love having you on and everything that you are talking about and your passion for what you're doing just radiates through you. And we know it does on stage too. So we really hope that everyone, all of our listeners in the Houston area, We'll see you guys at Performing Arts Houston, March 10th. And we we got last time you guys were on, we were talking about your performances in Los Angeles. And we got messages from people saying, my parents live in LA and I told them to go see Ragamala. So, you know, there's a, a whole host of ways to spread the love about um, this performance. And so we wish you guys all the best. And please always keep us posted on what you have coming up. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. always Oh, yes. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. We look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you. Your, smile, your smiles are so genuine. <laughs> I can tell. I'm, I'm, I'm a dance teacher. So I love <laughs> We're working on our eyes, Thanks so much. too. You <laughs> <laughs> can pay me for that. Ah, love it. Let's do it. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.